What's up, everyone? I'm your host, JJ Rivera, and welcome to 305 Culture, a podcast where you'll feel the heat. Now let's get down to business and talk some Miami Heat basketball. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of 305 Culture. Be sure to check out these other NBA pods on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Cavalier Central, Knock a Few Buck, Daily Thunder, Spanning the Spurs, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, At the Buzzer, and Lakers Fast Break. Plus, our coaching-focused podcasts, Drive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, The Green Light, and Courtside Culture. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Hey, Hoopheads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more. That's A R. Y S E dot com. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, JJ Rivera, and I'm joined as always by my co host, Kenneth Wilson. And welcome to 305 Culture, a show where you feel the heat. Now let's get down to business and talk some Miami Heat. Now, let's, before we dive into the heat, let's talk a bit about the current playoff picture. But first, I got to ask my buddy, Kenneth, how you doing, man? I'm all right, man. I can't complain. I'm here. Just want to talk some ball and uh, able to do that. So that's always a good time, like I always say, man. So I'm doing just fine. Yep. Same here. Always grateful to be able to do this and see my favorite sport, you know, for this a season that hasn't been really good. I wouldn't say good, but, you know, it's been pretty difficult to watch in terms of the injuries. But you know, are you talking from a Miami Heat perspective or a per, like just a overall? Just a just a fan of the game perspective. So overall perspective, I, you know what though, I'm gonna disagree with that, and not wholeheartedly or for different reasons. Because while I will agree with you in the sense or um on the sense that the injuries have taken away from the game, because you know a lot of our favorite players and a lot of the best players in the league, or even some of the you know auxiliary players or whatever. Um, just injuries as a whole has made it so that you really don't get a true glimpse of, you know, what a team can offer because they don't have a certain guy or a certain set of talent. I can definitely buy that aspect, but I'm going to be honest with you, man. The What's the word? Uh, do you want to say parity or, you know what I mean, the ability for a team like the Suns to go from not making it, having that bubble situation that they had to close it last year, Maybe you mean the unexpectedness of it? Yeah, I mean, just, you know, just this is what you want. This has probably been one of the most volatile, in the best way, seasons um, in a while. So I've actually enjoyed it 
um, for the most part, man. But like you said, you give a little discredit, I guess is the right word there, to the injuries because they have taken away from it. But I've enjoyed what I've seen. I, I, I can't lie about that, bro. And, you know, before we dive into the NBA playoffs, I want to make a quick point, at least this is from my perspective. There is no such thing as a least impressive championship or an asterisk title. You win, no. you win fair and square. Winning a championship is hard, especially in the NBA. Only one of 30 teams is able to claim that. And the fact that we have teams, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks last won 50 years ago. The Suns have never won. Neither have the Clippers and the Hawks, if I'm not mistaken. They also won, last won a pretty significant time ago. And the fact that these fan bases get to enjoy watching their teams have a legitimate chance of raising the the Larry O'Brien trophy at the end of the season, I think that that the converse the discourse regarding the asterisk title or the least impressive championship thing uh, that thing about it, you know, it really you're really doing a disservice to those fans. And we should be you know, we should support it. It's good for the league. The ratings are up again. You know, they were due to be up due to, you know, last last year everything was down. But I'm just happy for those fan bases, even though my team was smoked in the first run by one of those teams. I'm happy for them, you know. They haven't neither of these fan bases haven't had this type of success that we've that we as fans of the Miami Heat are used to seeing from our team. So, you know, good for them. And we'll get him next year. My thing on that, man, with the whole, you know, uh, asterisks on a title or illegitimate or the Mickey Mouse ring or all of that jazz is three things for me, bro. Um, they were going to crown a champion. So th that was the champion. The games were played. Two, everybody played, regardless of what you had, regardless of what your scenario was or situation or, you know, if you had injuries or you know, different little situations that may have affected your team. Everybody had those and everybody showed up. They played and they tried to win it. And lastly, if you had a won it or if your team had a won it or if your organization had a won it, you would be screaming from the mountaintops how legitimate your title is. So as a loser, which we were, and at the highest, at the highest of magnitude, got to the thing, oh, I can never forgive you for making me relive this right now. <laughs> But if you were a loser then you just have to accept your L because, again, if you had a won the thing, then you would be telling everybody, you know, how legitimate your title was. So, no, for those three reasons, you know, it's, it's always going to be legitimate because the title is a title is a title, regardless of how it happened, especially if everybody had the opportunity, you know, to win it that typically would. Everybody that got into the playoffs, you know and, what I mean? And, you know, in order to win a championship, you know, people, will, there will always be detractors to your championship. And when, you you know, we've seen it with us Heat fans. And listen, if you really think about it, everything just has to come together in ways that are sort of unexplainable. Or inexplicable, excuse me, for for you to win. We've seen it time and time again. The Raptors in 2019, they won. Would they have been that, that healthy Golden State Warriors team? Probably not. But they did. They did win the championship if... Greg Popovich hadn't taken Tim Duncan out of the game. Who knows if Chris Bosh grabs that rebound and gets it out to Ray Allen? Those are things that that this they just happen. 
and you sometimes have I've always said you sometimes have to be a little lucky to win a championship last season we did you know the Lakers they beat us bam missed time Goran our leading playoff scorer missed time as well you know just take the L and move on so anyway with all that being said let's talk about the current playoffs the Phoenix Suns are currently up the LA Clippers ahead of the LA Clippers excuse me three games to two Paul George had a masterful game masterful game last night we're recording on the 29th of June of the year 2021 so last night we had a game five in which Paul George basically put Chris Paul's parade to the NBA Finals on hold at least for a couple more days I still expect the Phoenix Suns to beat the Clippers. However, the Clippers do come back then. That's just another heartbreak added to the Chris Paul, Chris Paul book of heartbreaks. But, you know, it was a great game for him. Interesting story that, that's been surfaced around Twitter, the Twitter sphere. Paul George has played almost, seven, I think, 700 minutes this postseason. He has just... The level of, of, of pressure that's put on him due to Kawhi missing games, you know, and him responding to it, I think you got to give him a lot of credit. A lot, a lot was said about him last season, and he opened up in the offseason about his struggles with with depression during the uh, in the bubble, anxiety, and all the and how hard it was to be in the bubble, and then to come out this postseason and just. Be the Paul George of old, the one that we saw with the Pacers go toe to toe with the Miami Heat. Now, I think I feel happy for him. What do you say about that, Kenneth? I mean, um, I had never really fun because he had put it on himself as far as the whole playoff P situation of it all. It's fun to, excuse me, it's fun to mock that and kind of make fun of that a bit, I guess. But at the end of the day, if you know the game, then you kind of still respect it. Paul George for what he's capable of when he's right. Um, now, of course, he still needed to come through in the biggest moments. You wouldn't give him the credit credit without seeing him do it, um, you know, at the peak times or whatever. But you still knew that Paul George had, you know, a massive amount of game to him. Now, these playoffs, and especially without Kawhi Leonard, um, you have to say that your confidence, your belief, or your appreciation for what Paul George is capable of on the floor has been validated at the very least, or you have to have a newfound level of a newfound respect or a new level of respect for him if you were one of those people that really meant the pandemic PPP stuff from the heart. Because, I mean, what he's done has been just flat out, you know, uh, I, I hate to say remarkable, but when you think about what they don't have um, in Kawhi and then also, you know, not having Zubat, um in their most recent game, I mean, you think about that, man. And and he's, you know, leading a team that you question whether they would get that far if that's the team as constructed prior to this run. Now, I will say this. When you look at Patrick Beverly and the defense that he's playing, when you look at the contributions that Reggie Jackson's um, that Reggie Jackson oh, is making. Sites, um, by the way, let by me, the way, let by me. the way, <laughs> he should throw the money. At Reggie Jackson, I mean, I don't mean throw all the money, but he's going to get a little bit. He's going to get a big, big, you know, a little big bag 
um, coming this offseason for his performance. And we should be one of the teams throwing that at him. But when you consider their contributions, man, and even Zubak when he was playing, um, you know, he has he has help. And I hate, oh, Terrence, man, you know, Marcus, I mean, one of the Morris. I think it's Marcus. Marcus, um, yes. Morris. Yeah, um, you know, like I said, Batum's doing his job. He has guys helping him and contributing, but he's leading that cast of characters um, to where they're going. And right now, man, it, it's, you know, looking like it's going to be a fight to the finish. Whereas it looked like it was going to be a Suns runaway, it's definitely going to be a fight to the finish. Paul George has his hands all over that. But you were about to say about Reggie Jackson, my friend. Please do. Go on. That man, that man has made himself quite a bit of money in this man. series. I might. I think I mentioned it to you a couple of episodes back, even if we didn't touch on it here. Um, or maybe it was one of my other basketball guys, man. You, you know what? I'll say this. It was one of the other basketball guys, one of the writers I have over at All You Can Eat, one of my friends, um, Rich Nurse, um, is what I called him. And I was telling him prior to one of the earlier games in this series, or it might have been last series, because he actually started to go on this run early when he got the minutes. But I think it really started to, you know what I mean, shine through later in that um, last series. But um, I was just like, watch him, man. Like, he's not only running that team when he needs to, but when they need a big bucket, he's taking the shot. He's making the shot. He's creating the shot. I mean, it's nothing that he isn't doing. And here's the beautiful thing about it. Here's the thing that I think is really being underlooked. He's doing it from all three levels in the biggest moment. Yeah. Good for him. After Detroit, he hit a bit of a weird spot in his career. Where yeah. Yep. He, we didn't know his place in the, in the league. And credit to him. And his, Yeah, man, it's actually an interesting story tie behind that. They've kind of beat it to death in the playoffs. So if you haven't heard it, um, I'm telling you. But if you have heard it, forgive me, because it's just a cool story, man. Um, he was, you know, questioning his legitimacy in the league anymore. He was questioning his desire to play basketball, all of that. Not to say he isn't a baller, because obviously he is, and he knew that. But again, I guess just everything surrounding that, where he stood – I guess with his role, because um, he played for the Clippers last season, I want to say as well. And like, if he even wanted to do it anymore, and it said and heavily reported that Paul George gave him a call, who was also heavily reported that is one of his very best friends in the league, um, and told him to come back one more year. And, you know, after the pandemic and everything that went into that, um, he seemed to be rejuvenated based on the reports. That's what they're saying. You know, he felt, he felt rejuvenated about, you know, the game of basketball, coming back to play with one of his friends and this opportunity. And, I mean, you're seeing it, man, because like I said, um, he's performing, peak performing at the highest of levels on the biggest of stages. And, like, I, to be honest with you, not that I was against Reggie Jackson. I liked him as a nice little player, but I couldn't say that I was a Reggie Jackson fan, um, regardless of whether we sign him or not. Again, we need to look into that. Because we need a guy that can get his own off the bounce and a guy that can run our team. I Look at me making a pitch. But at the same time, just props to him, kudos to him, and I'm a fan regardless of where he finds himself moving forward because he's really balling and his story is just a good one. That's all. I will say, though, it depends on how much of this is just him cat catching fire at the right time. Look, man, he's done it for two rounds in the playoffs. <laughs> like I said, with, on, on elimination, without your best player, they need somebody to step up and be a pseudo-best player, and you're stepping up to be a consistent number two, look, man, 
Um, basically, what this saying is, with the proper opportunity, this is what he can do. One game, two games, Cameron Payne, flash in the pan. You see what I did there, JJ? Um, <laughs> flash in the pan situation. Shout out to him, yeah, too. I'll give you that. But, no, he's been balling, too. But what I mean, on that level, he did when Chris Paul was there. Again, note that I mentioned when given the opportunity. So what this is saying with Reggie Jackson is when given that meaningful opportunity, more often than not, he can produce for you. I mean, and he's doing it on a night-to-night basis in the playoffs, which is when you know, you know what I mean? And I, and I hate to say this, but players kind of, you know, sleep off through the regular season. Let's say it's 82 games. They bring everything they got, 60, most of what they got for 70. And then, you know, you might have six or seven. And I hate to say it because they are favorite players. They get paid all that money, and we complain and moan and groan and talk about this all the time, even with their many rest games and all of that. But they don't bring it for 82 games in a regular season. But every game in the playoffs is your last game. Even if it is an elimination game, they're playing that way. So when the games mean the most, when the lights are the brightest, he's bringing it. So you have to look at that and say, look, man, that's what I need. I need you doing money time. And if you can give me this every night during the playoffs, I have to believe and understand that for the most part, on par with every good to great to superstar, even, you know, you got your megalomaniac. Um, I hate to say megalomaniac, <laughs> but you have your, you know, um, your crazy people, your Mikes and your Kobe's, um, that that's, they're going to bring everything they got, you know what I mean, a hundred times out of a hundred. You know what I'm I would saying? I would throw Westbrook yeah. in there. Yeah, I, I would throw Russ in there too. He's one of those guys. You know, you have those guys that if they suit up ninety times, then eighty nine and a half times you're gonna get everything they got. But then you know, for the most part, most of your players, you know, they come out in some games they just don't have it. Um, and if he can do it every night in the playoffs, as we're saying, you have to say that he's on par with those with the rest of those guys. Again, not your megalomaniacs, but those are your all-time greats. And regardless of whether you want to give Russ that credit or not, uh, that's a cap tip for you, J.J., because you brought that one up. But, yeah, he's one of those guys, too. He's, he's so great, and he brings it every night. So those guys are different, but there's only a few of those guys. But there are a bunch of superstars that, like I said, for 75, 76 games out of 82, you're going to get that megalomaniac. But you know what I mean? You have to assume Reggie Jackson can give you that after these playoffs. Yeah. And, you know, we briefly mentioned campaign and we, you know, we can, I'm just going to mention something very quickly. This was a guy that before, before the bubble, he was out of the league entirely. He wasn't on an NBA roster and the Suns gave him a chance and he proved he belonged. And now he's a, he's a very important part of a Suns team that looks like they could be heading to the NBA finals. Making the run. No. Another neat story tied behind that. Not Reggie Jackson, because I know we're trying to move on, but this that shows the value of relationships. And of course, he had to be able to perform what you saw when Chris Paul was out, which I touched on. He can ball, but um, that whole opportunity came about because of his relationship with um, Monty Williams. Monty Williams, they said Monty Williams made that call before the bubble. Um, so, you know, uh, just a neat little story. And of course, knowing what Monty Williams went through, the second chance, his opportunities all that jazz and just having a refreshing view on things and being able to, you know, leap into those opportunities and make the most of it. That's, that's pretty dope. Yeah. That's Suns team. I'm rooting for them to win it all. Look they, at you. Look they, at you. I'm a, I'm going to tell the Miami Heat fan. Council, 
we're gonna have to review that. So I will no put on a temporary Phoenix Suns hat. <gasps> Did you hear the gas? <gasps> Put on a temporary Suns hat. All right, JJ, you're going too far. Let's move on. <laughs> well, I will say that the team, that Phoenix Suns team, very fun to watch, very fun to root for. You got Devin Booker, Devin Booker, a star scorer, a guy that just mm-hmm. he he can go on a, on a run anytime, any anytime, anywhere. DeAndre Aiden, his improvement, the way he plays. Chris Paul, of course, the living legend, the guy you. The guy you really want to see win one, so that he doesn't go into that list of long Hall of Fame point guards that just never could get over the hump. He's never even Great question. He's never even Great been question. to the finals. Bring that up. Does he need? Let, let me ask you this though. And everybody wants it. And you can say every great player needs the title. Let me ask you this: Does Chris Paul need the title? Need well, not from a personal, not from a personal value because he's a competitor, and we we we've seen we've. We, we can say we know Chris. If you're a fan of the game, you know how much it means to Chris Paul. So I'm saying we know that. So for him, of course he needs the title because that's just who he is. But what I'm saying is from a fan recognition, will that take away from him if he doesn't get a title? Because it's more of a feel-good thing now. Like we just want him to get a title. But we know that he's a – I'm going to say it. We know he's a top four loosely, top three probably – point guard ever um, without the title. Now, I think we would have to look at it the way how most people would view him legacy-wise and on in the all-time rankings if he wins a championship and how much he contributes in that final series if he were oh, to make it. Two. He's number two without a question. Um, right now, number and, two, I have, I have gets, Steph Curry, number two. Title. We'll see that's okay. I'm glad you said that, JJ, but that's why we're here together. We have this thing I like to call synergy. But if he wins a title this year, he instantly vaults to number two. Nobody will ever be better than Urban Magic Johnson. Let's just put that out there. He's the greatest point guard ever. Um, But Chris Paul automatically vaults to number two with a title here. You said Curry. I say this. Before Curry's done, he'll be number two. But he has a lot more to go relative to Chris Paul. Look, we got to – I mean, I, I forget the numbers, but I know he's up there, and I want to be um, specific and right about it. Chris Paul right now Would you put him ahead? 36. I'll, I'll ask you this. Would you put him ahead of Isaiah and the, I, and the, and the big O if he wins? So, his yes, that's what I mean. He bought the number two. Chris Paul is 36, Steph Curry is 33. So Steph Curry has three more years, let's just say relative to the conversation, on Chris Paul to keep building on that legacy. Um, here's the thing about that. You take Chris Paul over Isaiah Thomas because even though you know Isaiah has the will to come through in the biggest of moments, um, in this league, the offensive league, and the way it's progressed, Chris Paul's offensive game separates him for me. Now, Isaiah Thomas could get it offensively. Don't get me wrong. He was a, I mean, you know, he was a baller doing his own right. That's a man. For me. But quick, quick side note, that's, that's a guy that averaged 20 and 14 assists for us. Right. And 20. I, I, I agree with you, but let me ask you this. If you had a jump shot shooting contest between the two point guards, who are you taking? Of course I'm taking Chris Paul. But I'm, right. I'm saying relative to the era, you know, don't sleep on Isaiah. 
I'm not. See, and I wanted to make that clear. I'm not, because he's right there behind him. That's why I said there's always that debate. In the big O, um, it's always, you have to say he's a top four or five point guard of all time because of what you know about the game and just the history and the legacy of the game and all of that jazz. But at the same time, um, I'm going to be a victim of my age here without seeing him play or without having access to a lot of that stuff um, right here or actually just taking the time to go back forward, you know, um, out of sight, out of mind. But you still respect his legacy and the craft and everything that he did. So you say he's top five, but for me, I don't think he is higher than Chris Paul or Isaiah Thomas. I can see that. Now, if I saw him play or if I had a, let's say, by some miraculous, you know, purpose or whatever, um, the big O was, you know, a player of this era, then he very likely might be the, you know, second best point guard ever. And based on everything we've heard about him, he might be the best point guard ever. But you know what I mean? Without seeing him or, or you know what I mean, having done that deep, deep, deep dive and research, I can't say that he's better than those guys that I mean. The case, the, five without a doubt. The case against Isaiah, his prime was relatively short. His career was relatively short. He absolutely. You know, back then careers didn't last as long as that's what I was about to as, as they do today. You mentioned the era with the scoring. You have to mention the era with that too. Everybody, again, I love it when a story comes together. You know that about me and our short time relatively together, JJ. Back to the megalomaniac nature of the greatest of the great ones, everybody doesn't have MJ's career. You know what I mean? And, and you shudder to think, uh, would he have actually taken a break when he played baseball? Or would he have played straight through? So everybody didn't play as long as he did. Not in those days. I mean, I, you know what? At the risk of going sideways here, I think the baseball thing, I, I think the baseball face of Michael Jordan actually was really beneficial for him because there's there's no way i don't think gave him a break man gave him a break i don't think there's a chance in hell that they win three straight titles after you know what couple of years later after they won three straight they there's no second three-peat i'm sorry the the human body can only take so much yo I agree with you there. And then there's two more points. It's like from a mental thing, you know, doing all that winning. Um, even if you look at the big three, they didn't win on the first year, but they didn't win on the last year. Doing all that winning is mentally fatiguing with everything that comes with it. And then lastly, bro, the pressure of going on. You, like you just won three. So let's say you win four. Then you got to win five, right? Let's say you win five. Then you got to win six straight. The pressure, man. So I guess just that two-year break, getting to break it all up for his body, for his mind, and just for the overall you know what I mean? Narrative of it all was definitely a benefit. Yeah. Now let's come back to where we were. Phoenix Suns, LA Clippers. Back in the car. We're back in the car. Phoenix Suns, LA Clippers. You know, that was a little bit of a... We stopped at the gas station to get some stuff. And then we're back on the road. Now, do you see this series going seven? Or do you think Phoenix takes care of it in their next game? After last night, we're recording here on a Tuesday. So, you know, the game is on Monday. After Monday night's game, um, it looks like a seven-game series, man. I, and, and I wouldn't have said that prior to last night. I actually thought the Suns would, you know, handle their business. Um, but after last night, it, 
I can only say seven because I have to give that Clippers team their respect at this point. After everything I said about all the guys and I, you know, wax poetic about them, I know that's a popular term today with me. Um, after I did all that about them, man, I have to, I have to give them that respect as well. I, I think, I don't think the Suns are going to let this go further. Again, I might be wrong. So you think they do it on the road? I think they can. I think they're capable. I just don't know if they are. And that's what I ask you. Don't you squirm, JJ? Do you think that they do it on the road? Yes, I do. I oh. th- that's spicy, JJ. That's spicy. I think they do it on the road. And I know, listen, for all the talk about Chris Paul, he hasn't played well, well this series, not since he came back from health no. and safety protocols. But I think Devin Booker and the other guys will rally around, maybe throw a little, some, some timely assists or baskets from Chris Paul. But I think it's going to be Devin Booker's show. He's got the, he's got the mentality. You know, this guy, this is the same guy that idolized Kobe Bryant. I think... Right. He's not gonna. He's gonna bring them home, and he's gonna lead them to their first NBA Finals since 1993. Now, moving on to the other side of the bracket, we have the Milwaukee, mm, the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Atlanta Hawks. And I will say, I can say this with full confidence: the Hawks are done. They had a good. They had a good run. Trey Young is reportedly questionable for game four with a bone bruise injury in his ankle. And, you know, props to this Atlanta team. They made it so much farther than anyone else thought they would. But they're just running out of bodies at this at this point. Oh. I, listen, man, I don't know if my take is that deep right now. I would say, yes, I know he's listed as questionable. And sometimes those reports can be misleading because after quote fingers treatment, they come out and they look regular for at least 48 minutes. So I have to see him for the first five minutes first because if he's somewhat normal, then uh, Atlanta's right in the series. Because if we're being frank about it, they should have won the last game had he not stepped on the referee's foot. I mean, they're up. They have the ball. And still able to hit. and Chris Middleton not going ballistic. The, right. The- come on, man. How many times is Chris Middleton going to go nuts like that? The guy went from being able, not being able to hit a shot earlier in the series to making everything he put up. Um, I mean, it, I can't write them off just yet. Not not knowing what Trey looks like at this moment because um, they do some miraculous thing in those training rooms, man. And sometimes guys come out. And I'll give you Joel Embiid as an example. Um, sometimes guys come out and they just don't have it because of the injury. But a lot of times they come out and you can't tell anything's wrong either. But the so, thing, the thing is, we all saw, you know, Joel Embiid was still amazing, but we knew he wasn't a hundred percent. There were some right. little things you saw that he wouldn't move as well as he could. Sometimes he just he wouldn't come over and and help on a on a contest because he couldn't move as well. Trey right. Trey Young's game depends on his speed and, and his craftiness. I will say, his passing becomes even more important now. But that speed and speediness and craftiness plays into that passing department. Because it forces, whenever he's driving, listen, let's take it for game one. When the Bucks were playing drop coverage against him, and, you know, Brooke was just there standing, giving him all the space, those floaters 
were going in all day, and then when they started to come up, he was he was able to get still get to the basket, but find the open man either around the basket, which was usually Capella or Collins, or find a shooter. Now here comes the other issue. Bogdan Bogdanovich, their second best ball handler and their lead playmaker whenever Trey either takes the play off or they call a play specifically for Bogdan to run. He's just not right. He's not right. The guy can barely move. That You see it when he shoots. That guy is usually money whenever he's open and you, you can just see it whenever he's shooting the ball. Cam Reddish just came back. DeAndre Hunter is not in the game. And you know that leaves you relying on front, sometimes on the front court of Danilo Gallinari, John Collins, which is, you know, to quote the GIF, the popular GIF, not great, Bob. My thing, I have, I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you. So let me start by saying that I do look at it a little different. On the first point, the speed thing, I guess you can say predicated on speed, but for me. It's more so the ability to change speeds because a lot of his is, okay, I'm going to come at you at 85%. I'm going to drop down to 30. Then I'm going to pick it back up to 90 and I'm going right at you. And his ability to do that is what allows him to get into those areas that he gets to. Um, now, you got to admit that pushing off on that foot has a big, you know, has a big part to play in all of that. So I can't agree with you there. But because it's more change of speed than pure outright speed, I think that he might be able to get away with it more. Now, you could lean the other way because it's changing speed and more outright, you know, planning as opposed to going that that may hurt him too. But that's why I said I need to see it. Those changes of um, speeds, they usually put a lot of strain on your ankles too. Right. So that's why it's important if it's an ankle thing or if it's an upper foot thing because pain in the upper foot and pain in the ankle are different. They can be the same or similar or very close, but they can also be different. So that, you know what I mean? It's when you got the ankle, you simply can't do certain things about the ankle, but certain things about the top of the foot, it just hurts like hell. So then it's about pain tolerance. So, you know what I mean? That, that again, I, I would reserve judgment there until I see him. Now, on Bogdan being their second best creator, ball handling, all that jazz, when he's right and when that, everything is equal, I, I would agree with you, but only by inches because. For me, and I heard, um, I, I can't remember who I heard say this. He comes on with the Mad Dog, Chris Russo, a lot. Um, old-time basketball guy. Um, I actually, I, don't quote me, but I want to say it's Kevin Laurie. I want to say that. Laurie, I want to say that. Um, but maybe not. Either way, he made the point of this. Um Trey Young actually depresses Kevin Herter's development. Herter is capable of being that combo ball handling, shooting, scoring guard. But because he plays with Trey Young, Trey Young always has the ball and he's more Ray Allen than he is anything else at that moment. Not comparing him as a talent or saying he's that player just in that role, whereas Ray Allen was capable of being the lead guy. Um, early on those Bucks years. He ran off a lot of screens because that's the way it was facilitated or maybe that's the way the team operated best. In a similar situation with Atlanta, they operate more fluidly with Trey having the ball or best or a peak efficiency according to whoever's running the team at that point. Be that Pierce or McMillan based on what we've seen. 
when Trey's dominating the ball. And that doesn't allow Herder to do his thing or maximize what he may be able to do with the ball because he simply doesn't have it. So I just think that if it's that much of a problem, you use Trey as a decoy and allow Herder to do more of the initiation because he can. He and showed he could. To, Game I seven. Leads, I don't know if that leads to victories, though. I think that, and that again, to tie it all together, I need to see if Trey's right. Because if Trey's right, Atlanta's squarely in the picture. But like you said, Herder showed it already. So, you know, that's the point I want to make there. But I don't disagree with you fully. I just see it a little differently. You you buried the Hawks. Now, I, I can't say we disagree there. You buried the Hawks. But um, I still think they have a shot, health dependent, and how they look to open this next game here that's coming on tonight. Because as again, I stated, we're recording on a Tuesday. I buried the Hawks for the simple reason that just, you know, at the risk of sounding reductive, you know, they don't have an answer for Giannis. They haven't, pr- they just haven't shown to have an answer for him. And the fact that the Bucks, you know, they're not running as many isolations for him. He's using more of a screen. That Giannis, those Giannis at the five lineups with Connaughton, Middleton, Holiday, and, and P.J. Tucker, they have been lethal. I think they're, I forgot their plus minus number. I think they were plus 17 in, in a very limited amount of minutes. But don't quote me on that. They were plus something. They had a pretty a pretty high plus minus. How, anyway, and the fact that if Trey Young isn't right, you know, the Hawks have done a pretty good job of looking to get Drew Holiday off of Trey Young. And, you know, Trey Young, sometimes he just, he can score on, on Drew whenever he's guarding him because, you know, he's that type of talent. But if he's not 100%, then Drew can slow him down just enough for the Hawks' offense to just be forced to run other actions. And then you enter in a whole heap of trouble because then if you've got Lopez and Giannis patrolling the paint, then Capella can get you some rebounds and stuff, but, you know, with those two in there, it's a bit difficult for him to operate successfully. Then you got John Collins. John Collins is, functions more as he plays off Young. That's his role, and that's how he excels. Then you basically got to rely on old man Gallinari, who, you know, has had his moments to, you know, run the show for a bit. And, uh, you know, get, and as you try to get Young going with Drew Holiday guarding him, and, you know, if the Bucks switched it, sometimes they've got P.J. Tucker on him, Middleton, Giannis has guarded him at times. So, you know, that's why I don't think the, the Hawks, you know, that's why I think the, the Hawks are buried because you, you just, they don't have, they don't have the resources to answer because they're just simply hurt. And so tonight, it sucks. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I was just going to say, it sucks. That's It sucks that that's the fact, but, you know, it is what it is. Now, on that point, though, and that's it, and, and won't go too far deep back in it because we got some other things we want to touch on here and we're getting a little bit far into the program, but on the... Everything you said for me, what what I think was it was built around stopping Giannis. If you can stop Giannis, the rest of that stuff will come together, right? 
Yeah, I guess. Right. Okay. I mean, and, and I was just making sure I was attacking it the right way because I agree with you, but what if you just accept the fact that you can't? He's going to do what he does. As we mentioned earlier, it took Chris Middleton going nuts last game to be able to do what they did, and the Hawks still should have won that game if Trey Young doesn't get hurt. You also look at Drew Holiday, who – has playoff averages of 16.8 points across his career and across these playoffs is only averaging 16.3 points. Now you look at that and then you look at his totals from this series and it isn't that much, but every little bit helps. And if you're talking about deviating this much from his average, then you do look at it a lot. And uh, what was it? Game one. And Drew Drew has has had some clunkers this uh, this postseason. I agree with you. Offensively. In game one, he had 33, and they still lost. In game two, he had 22, which was, again, six points above his average, and they won that game. Now, he only had six in the win of the night, but as mentioned, Chris Middleton won this. So somebody has to play above their heads in order for them to win, even with Giannis. So the game plan should be, look, Giannis is going to get his. Just stop everybody else from going nuts for playing above their head. If we can hold everybody else to their averages, then we still win. If Trey Young is right, and that's the way I see. It. That's the Stan Van Gundy special against the Cleveland Cavaliers of LeBron James. Fair. That's that's what they deployed, didn't they? You that could, is. That is. You saw LeBron put up crazy numbers back in, I believe it was 09. But the other guys were they just couldn't get it going. And uh, since we're quoting memes, to quote the meme from Coming to America. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, but predictions for the rest of the series. I think the Hawks steal a game. I'll give them a game. But I think the Bucks end up going to the NBA Finals. You give them a game. Yeah. I'll give them a game as a court as a courtesy. Okay. Um listen man, if Trey Young isn't right, the Hawks won't win another game. If Trey Young is right, the Hawks win this series. Oh. Now, based on the reports, I think we will lean towards Young not being right. But, you know, maybe he can just gut it out. But listen, man, in the even in the game, when he got hurt, he just was moving differently. He wasn't moving. He definitely was. He definitely was. But as I mentioned, it, that sometimes all it takes is one day of treatment. And, I, and again... I used Joel B. Joel and B. Generally, last time, but look at the way he played in that one game. I think it was game three or four, where he just, you know, he didn't even have any lift in the second half. And in the games prior to that, and in the very next game, he came out and was, you know, was Hakeem reincarnated. You know what I mean? So, you know, you never know with this treatment, man. And uh, like I said, I just need to see. Yeah. So we both got Bucks Suns finals. Hmm. If you had to make a call right now, if I had to make a call right now, I would probably say Bucks. Yeah. Who would have thought? Even even as I said it, Bucks Suns. Right. It just doesn't sound right. Yeah, we're used to. All right. I mean, real quick to get ahead of ourselves, real quick. Let's just 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 take thirty seconds on this. Let's say Bucks Suns was the matchup. Who would you pick? I'm I'm riding with the Suns. I think I would go Bucks. I'm right with the Suns for the mere fact that, okay, I'm I'm a mo- I, I'm rooting for them 
the, you know, for the rest of the playoffs because they're re- easy to root for. I want Chris Paul to get that ring. Giannis will have plenty of chances to get that ring. Well, I agree with you there. I just think it's a poor matchup because you have your best players on the Suns. They have perfect matchups and counters for them on Milwaukee. Like, perfect counters. Like, what DeAndre Aiden does, Giannis is perfect to guard that. What Booker wants to do, uh, Middleton is perfect to guard that. Or you can, you don't even have to throw Giannis at him. You can throw Brooke at Aiden. Right. But whereas Aiden has an advantage over a lot of big guys that are big enough to guard him, he's, he's mobile and he wants to pop and he can do a few things outside or on the very edges of the box. And Brooke can get out there too, but if you really just want to flat out shut him down, and then leave Brooke at the rim to swat everything away, you can say, look, I'm going to put Giannis on you. And, Brooke, you stand with a foot in the paint, shading towards the guy who's the poorest shooter. Hmm. I guess we'll see how we – well, well, I will say Phoenix has the coaching advantage. <laughs> I would agree. But, you know, you could – we're not going to talk about Bud because I was about to say something ugly. Yeah, we – Let's keep the butt the butt slander to the minute to a minimum for this week. All right, moving on. Let's talk a bit about some offseason rumors. You know, it's not a good time to be a Portland Trailblazers fan. Boy, has this has this past week been tough for Blazers fans. First, we get the Chris Haynes piece detailing Dame's unhappiness, and you know, if Chris Haynes dropped it, it came straight from Dame. <clears throat> that they might be unhappy in Portland. And, you know, I'm paraphrasing here and I'm quoting him. But basically, the whole idea was that Dame is, re-evalu- is reevaluating his future with the Blazers. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> then the Portland Trailblazers hired Chauncey Billups, which has been, to say the least, we're not going to enter into the whole issues there. Uh, there are some serious allegations against Chauncey Bills for events that took place in 1997. The case was settled out of court. My, I'll just say my opinion on this. When these things are usually settled out of court, in my opinion, they look very fishy. But I won't, I won't comment on that further. I don't know if you want to comment on it, Kenneth, because this is a very delicate. Um, this is a delicate. Yeah, man. Delicate situation. About definitely a delicate situation. You never want to put anybody in any situation on either side. Um, but for me, um, I'm here to talk about the Damian Lillard rumors, but I will say this about just everything you've mentioned. The last, you know, couple of days for Portland has just been... Yeah, it's been tough. It's just been like, you know, bombs away. So... Ugh. I mean, not great for them. Good for somebody that might want to poach Damian Lillard, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, today there was some issues with the press conference. Let's keep it to Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard then received backlash because he reportedly endorsed the Chauncey Bills hiring. And he he was, you know, if this is true, then tough look for my guy, Dane. He was angry at fans who came after him on Twitter. And he was actually responding to them. He telling them to say less. I am directly quoting him. So, man. This alert situation. And, you know, with the, the hate piece dropping. 
and all the drama surrounding it, it's it's been trade machine season. Absolutely, and you know how we do. Fire up your jersey swaps. Oh. I okay. I I tweeted it out, but I wanna mention it here. We talked about it. Go ahead. I'll be waiting for you to give it. Go ahead. We don't have a chance in hell of getting Damian Lillard. We don't have anything that interests the Portland Trade Blazers unless you're willing to include Bam Adebayo, which I'm apprehensive to do. Because here's where I, here, go ahead. Hell, mom, I'm not gonna say it. Let's just say it, say it. I, I'm not gonna say it because it, it might sound sacrilegious. I I just want to keep my two guys together. They prove they can go to the finals together and they can you compete for it. No, I wouldn't. I was. I just want to make sure that's what you were about to say. I tried to. No, I was gonna. I was gonna say something different. You would trade Jimmy for Damian Lillard. I wouldn't do it, but I would listen. I would. Wow. I would be willing to listen. Wow, you disrespectful, disloyal, ungrateful. I wouldn't do it ultimate. I wouldn't do it ultimately because we our picks our first round pick situation is dire. To say the least, I think we have the worst. I think we have the worst first round pick situation in terms of draft capital. And <laughs> I'm not trading him. I said I wouldn't trade him. I would listen, but I would ultimately not trade him. If these weren't earbuds, I'd slam my headphones against the desk. So would you trade Bam for Dame? No, I wouldn't. Of course I'm, I'm not. with you, man. I keep the boys together. Um, my thing with the whole situation is this, though. As we talked about off-air, which you didn't quite mention here, your main chance comes if Dame explicitly says, I want Miami, which I think is a strong possibility, and especially when you consider um, the fact that him and Bam will have a chance to spend a lot of quality time together at in the Tokyo. Um, my thing with the whole Roma situation is, even today, I think Windhorse had a report um, Brian Winhorse, um, that said Damian Lillard isn't looking to leave Portland. Man, for me, all of that's lip service because, as you mentioned, he's been active himself on social media. If Chris Haynes has it, then he got it directly from Damian Lillard if he's reporting it. So um, all of the signs and TVs are looking like he want to get up out of there. And this whole I don't want to leave thing is what they all say. What are they supposed to say? I mean so, – um, I think he's out, man, and we have a chance. I think we have a shot because I think the ball is in his court. No, we don't have a package that might be equitable what some other teams can offer. But Damian Lillard has a say in it as well. And you also have to give this man his due. I think it's one guy that can create resources and make a trade happen with nothing. It's Pat Riley. And Andy Ellisberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You give those guys some credit, too. You give all of the guys some credit. Because definitely when you think about everything that they've been able to do. Um, it hasn't been just Pat Riley, but, you know, um, him, Ellisburg, the whole front office situation, it's always one in Miami where you can count on them to um, pull every string, to look behind every door, to check every crack, to, you know, kick every crevice, man. Because I'll take it back a couple of summers ago, and people were saying, man, y'all don't have the resources to get Jimmy Butler. How are y'all going to get Jimmy Butler? Y'all can't get Jimmy Butler. And guess what? Now you're trading Jimmy Butler. Jimmy, okay. You okay. said that, JJ. You're trading Jimmy Butler. I, I'm not going to. I won't. I said I will be willing to listen. <laughs> now, 
Don't, yeah, no, don't, don't keep on saying that because don't keep on saying that because they're gonna come for me. <laughs> Aggregators, JJ said, "I joke, I joke, I kid." Um, yeah, man. Again, just to tie a bull around that. I mean, we can make things happen that other teams typically can't. So there's a shot. There's always a shot. To make a little movie reference, Pat is Vito Corleone and and Andy is Sonny. If if you've if you've seen the Godfather movies, you'll understand. Absolutely. Well, that's it. Okay. Very quickly, just for there's the one more just. Little rumor. Yeah, there's one more little one. No, no, but 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 I want to do something quickly, a quick exercise, just for the fun of it, because you know, as much as, as as much as this is lowest common denominator talk, I tend to enjoy firing up the trade machine in my own private time. And just do these hypothetical trade scenarios and play them out Sit in my back head. with a smoking jacket, smoking a bubblegum cigarette, with a glass of your favorite brown Kool Aid. I usually don't share them because <laughs> I usually don't share them because it can get pretty wild in the in those trade machines. Ooh. But you know, about a long night. being realistic. Well, you know, usually before bed, you can just you can fire up the trade machine on your phone and get play you with a couple in. Yeah. It's it's like uh, my my night uh, not a nightly routine but you know something that that I, you you should do every night and then I I'll go to bed thinking about it and then and and then have those little quirks that we do like that. Anyway, we're be, we're going off the track again. Very quickly, Kenneth. Realistic teams that can offer a good trade package for Dame that Portland will be able would at least pick up the phone. I want to go first. I don't, I haven't seen people mentioning this team, but I think... Give me three. We'll do three. We'll do three really quickly. Go ahead. Just give you a three and give you a reason. So Take it into account that the, the, the Blazers won't want to... I don't think... If I were Neil O'Shea, I would want to trade him to the Western Conference. That's if I'm, if I'm Neil O'Shea. Mm. Number two, I want draft equity and at least a young or a semi-young player... You know, semi-young player that I can either later flip for more draft capital or keep him as a foundational piece. With that being said, and of course, uh, sat, you need you need some salary to match Damian Lillard's huge, huge salary. He signed a supermax extension a couple years ago, and he's still got three years left of contract. So this will be again an unprecedented power play. Because at least Harden had two years left. This guy has got three. We've never seen this. But, uh, you know, Damian Lillard is one of those guys that got juice. Anyway, the team I would pick first, the Toronto Raptors. Now, why the Toronto Raptors? I've thought about them. They've got the number four pick in this draft. A strong, a strong draft. They've got either OG... Or Pascal, or Chris Boucher, to trade as one of the foundation pieces. You'll either have to, you'll probably have to trade two of the three. I would rather keep Pascal, but uh, you know, it would hurt to depart to depart to have OG depart the the North because I'm a I'm as I have mentioned before, I'm a huge OG fan. He's the type of player that I. I think is vital for a championship team. 
They've got the draft capital. They've got the cap space, so they don't have to send out a lot of players. They don't have to gut their team in order to compete. Now, you could play a, a backcourt of Fred Van Vliet and Damian Lillard. And then you could feel you can breathe easier about letting Kyle Lowry go, which I think even then he's still living, leaving. Then you could you could go, you know, go through, do some sign and trade shenanigans with Kyle Lowry. Involve another team, a third team. I think the Toronto Raptors would be my preferred destination for the aside from the Miami Heat, of course. The realistic and preferred trade destination for Damian Lillard. What do you think? I have I have three, man. I would say um, the Warriors for that similar reason. Um, they have James Wiseman that they can flip. Um, because I definitely think that he's out of there. They have the number seven pick. Um, they can flip that. They also have Wiggins to dangle. They can sign and trade Kelly Oubre. They have the resources to get a trade done, and I'm sure they want to continue to capitalize on that championship window they have. And with Clay coming back, you'll think they want to do something. <laughs> now, um, uh, also, go ahead. Let me interrupt you very quickly. Just imagine. Clay, Steph, and Dame launching Nuts. bombs Nuts. from Nuts. thirty-five you feet. You can't guard them. They would extend. They so would ex- extend the limit of NBA defenses. So much space, bro. The court would look like a golf court. It'll just be like a big area of open space in the middle of the floor. Now, to your um, second team. Yeah. Secondly, I would go the Boston Celtics. Um, the Celtics really don't have the draft capital. Um, however, they have talent. And then they could also dig deeper in the future drafts. I don't know what their draft situation looks like. The GMs always can make it work. Um, this would definitely mean moving Brown. Um, but Brown is the type of talent and package starter that you can throw out there for Damian Lillard. Um, so the Celtics are a team, and especially, you know, in their current situation, shipping Kemba off. Um, yeah. Lastly, and this one probably is the most popular one, and you definitely say that um, the second team here is the winner, but Philadelphia. Something featuring Ben Simmons um, would definitely be a good enough package starter to talk about getting Dane. And with uh, who's our guy from Houston? His name slips me. I don't know how it slips with Maury. And with Maury there, um, you can almost expect him to be creative just because. Not even for a reason. He just wants to do a deal. Yeah, I can expect him to do a deal this offseason for somebody. Absolutely. For somebody. I think Simmons is out of there, but he'll do a deal just for the hell of doing a deal at some point. Yeah. I think between those, again, the Warriors are in the Western Conference, and I don't think Neil O'Shea would want to trade Damian Lear to a rival, the team that, you know, because the Blazers didn't have bad teams. They just coincided with the Warriors. They're probably the greatest basketball team ever bit, ever assembled. They just coincided with them. And you couldn't... They just couldn't do anything about it. Same thing we, we mentioned, I think, in a post-pod discussion about James Harden's offensive peak. One of the greatest offensive peaks we've ever seen. Just, coinci- just coincided with the, with the greatest NBA team ever assembled. It just happens. It's, it's one of those... You know, one of the casualties of seeing 
an all-time, you know, a team of a juggernaut of that magnitude. And the blade. Quick topic, really quick, man. Quick topic, really quick, before we get too far. Because we're talking about the Warriors, not talk with somebody about this. So just answer me this real quick, JJ. I don't want to get too far because we still got a couple things we want to get to here. Would you take Draymond Green at his mid 20 something salary over the next four years for Miami? Would you or would you not? Why or why not? I guess it depends on the, on the point guard situation. If we can get a, a three level scorer which will lead us to our other rumor. But again, if we can somehow solve our scoring issues, because Goran is not the answer at this point. I love Goran, but he's not the answer at that point guard position. To start for the brunt of a regular season, maybe for a playoffs, maybe he can capture some of that old magic we saw in the 2020 bubble. But I would find it hard because our offense would take another hit. Because Definitely, and you touched on it with the scoring situation. I can't uh, – he's a hell of a player, and he definitely adds something from a rebound and assist perspective in the all-around game. But like you said, man, he doesn't add enough in the literal scoring department to warrant paying him that 20 – that mid-20-something million-dollar salary he's going to command over the next four. Um, however, as you mentioned, the next guy we want to discuss here might be a guy capable of doing that, even though I see him more as a two-level scorer. He has to consistently prove that he can hit the shot, and that would be one Colin Sexton, correct? Yes. The Cleveland Cavaliers are reportedly willing to listen to trade offers for Colin Sexton for a variety of reasons. Darius Garland's emergence last season, they owned the number three pick. Yeah, they owned the number three pick, which could land them Jalen Green, uh, a guy that's projected to be a very good scorer in the NBA. Kenneth is more of the draft, the draft tutor guy, so I'll leave that up to him. And do you think that Jalen Green, if he falls to Cleveland, would they, would you move Colin Sexton? Um, here's the thing. First of all, I don't think Jalen Green is going to fall to Cleveland. Um, I think Houston's probably going to take him. Um, however, I don't. No, because what he projects to be is special. But what you have in Sexton now is a guaranteed bona fide bucket. However, you have to tailor what you do towards Sexton because Sexton is ball dominant. And Green doesn't quite present that problem. Green can play with other people and actually makes other people better. So it just depends on what your philosophy is. If you're looking at maximizing Garland while at the same time nourishing and developing your other star, Green's probably a better fit there. Because I think that the similar situations we discussed with uh, Trey Young and Kevin Herter, um, I think Sexton actually limits Garland's development. And I think management will probably prioritize Garland due to there's it's a money question. The Garland extension always is. is. Garland is not due for an extension in what another season. Yep. So you can kick. That's when talks. You know what I mean. Got to kick off. You can, you can kick get that can down the road, a bit more, and tying it to the Miami Heat. And you know, Nikias Duncan wrote a great piece today, detailing how. Colin Sexton would fit with a couple of teams, but I concentrate on more on what he mentioned. 
for the Miami Heat and Colin Sexton. He would, first off, he would fill a need at the point guard position. But we can also bring in Kevin Love as part of the trade package. We would have to give up Hero, of course. That's a given. And either KZ or Precious. I don't know who would you rather give up, but you know that can get a little dicey. I would rather. Precious, I would looking at bringing in Kevin Love. I was gonna mention Precious due to that fact, and also bringing back Dwayne Detman. Absolutely. So then we have the Iguodala and Dragic options. It would hurt like hell to give up Dragic. But if you want to, if you want to build a team that can hang around with Philly, Milwaukee, and Brooklyn, that's the way to go. Because an engaged Kevin Love, we haven't seen Kevin Love engage in what two years, three, give or take at least. But you know, you have to you have to consider the injuries and all that as well. But it's at least been that long. The guy clearly wants out of Cleveland. It's getting. Absolutely, I think that's his. I think that's his whole reason for playing in the Olympics to show that he still has. We have the salaries to match. Kevin Love. Now the big question is the money. We will have Adebayo, Sexton. He's we, we he's gonna want an extension. And if you give up, if you give up that type of of assets, you have to give him the extension. Absolutely. So that's at least a hundred million for the last four for the next four years that he's going to ask. And I can't I can't pay Sexton that. And you mentioned it for me earlier, um, and I kind of touched on it. We need a point guard. Sexton has averaged three. And then that, that was what's going to make. He's averaged three, three, and four point four six. And not that that's what it's all about, but at the end of the day. You want your point guard to be able to make your team better, and he isn't developing fast enough or enough in general in that particular area to warrant me putting him there, expecting him to make everybody else better, and all while paying him $100 million to do so. His playing style is a big concern for the Miami Heat because... Definitely, because we're all about ball and man movement, and the ball stops when it gets to Kyle Sexton. You could maybe justify by saying Jimmy Butler is the de facto Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo are the de facto point guards. Right, and which also was a question, because then how much is the ball really going to be in his hand? Because, he, as you mentioned, he's a ball-dominant player. And as Nikai has highlighted in his, in his article, he actually takes a lot of pull-up shots, particularly from the mid-range, and he doesn't hit them at the elite clip that you want a guy that takes so many mid-range jump shots to be, to be taking. But then going back to the money money issue, you would have Adebayo, Butler, Duncan Robinson, you have to pay him this offseason if you truly want to contend. Kevin Love, and then Colin Sexton, if I'm not mistaken. So those are your five starters making, let's say, over $15 million. That's a big fi- That's a big financial commitment. It is. Now, the Arisons... They haven't been they're they're not afraid to spend in order to win. And I think Pat could probably sell them on a team like that for them to go deep into luxury tax territory. 
but this comes down to what I'm trying to what I'm in order to quote you tie the ball around this. I want to ask you, would you do it? Absolutely not. I don't like him as a player, man. I mean, I think he'll be a good little player for somebody, whether that's Cleveland or not. Not for us, man. He just doesn't fit what we want to do. That's what I was thinking. I like, you know, he's young. He's very young. But the extension thing is what gives me pause. Definitely. And his playing style just doesn't fit here. Now, Kevin Love, just doesn't. I could stomach him coming here. Oh, stomach? Not only stomach, he would be a hand-in-glove fit because not only is he a guy that can actually give you something on the interior, but his outside skills are also legit. And when you think about putting him or playing him beside Bam and allowing Bam to be more of that four and match up against those guys or just being able to have more free reign over where he is on the court, um, it actually opens up a whole new range of opportunities. Now, you do question it defensively and how does that look, but um, you don't know if Kevin, Kevin Love is going to play huge minutes for you, especially if you're considering bringing Dwayne Denman back. But um, it's definitely something I look into. You have to look at the numbers of it all and consider how you know valuable, how much you should get out of him for that. But um, look, man, we got to look at any number of ways to get better. And the salaries that you mentioned, I think there are a bunch of creative different ways to get a lot better and um, not use all of that in one place. That would be the issue with Kevin Love, using the Egodala and because that would be us opting into their team options. So that would leave us without cap space to bring in, you know, the biggest hole in this team is going to be the, is the three-level scorer in the backcourt. That's our biggest hole right now. Absolutely. And that's why I say, Reggie Jackson, if you're listening, if you're listening, Reggie. I hope he is. Expect a call from Pat Riley. Reggie, if you're listening to us, please give us a shout out on, on Apple Podcasts and, <laughs> and on Twitter. Now, I think that covers it. You want to, we can talk, let's. We did just want to touch a little bit. Um, let's talk about those folks yeah. on, you know what I mean, getting the Team USA select team coaching gig. Um, he won't be traveling to Tokyo, but he will be around the guys every day. Um, you know, there with Bam, even though he won't be coaching Bam, he'll be getting exposed to those guys, which is, fingers crossed, only good for our recruiting as well. Hopefully him and Dan cozy up and take him to private tampering meetings. Did I say that out loud? Um, somewhere. But, yeah, man, you just want to give a congratulations to Coach Spoke. And also, when you speak of uh, Tyler Sexton, the Cavs, and Derek and, and Garland, um, the reports are saying that Garland has chosen to join the select team as well as Anthony Edwards. So even though they won't be going to Tokyo, Spo will be coaching them directly. Um, and again, with the way that Anthony Edwards has looked, you always want to get in his uh, mm. Get into sell him on his, you know, you got to sell him on his D-weight potential. Come on, man. Expose him to that culture. You know, see, you brought it up. I was trying to not go there, JJ, but you brought it up. Because that's if you're Spo, you're definitely pulling up on him like, D-Wade's your favorite, huh? Okay, okay. You know I coached him, right? You know he know that, but you have to say that if you're Spo. You just got to, you know what I mean? You got to let yours hang for a minute and kind of 
get the young man, you know, interested and enticed by the situation. And then you massage it from there. And three, four years from now, he's wearing black and red and everybody's happy. Throw some anecdotes about Heat Legend doing way in there. Anyway, congrats to congr- Spo. And thank you for listening to the 305 Culture Podcast. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever, really. Please leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and a short review if you can. We would really appreciate it. It helps us grow. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at 305 Culture Pod. You can also follow Kenneth and I at JJ Rivera NBA and at K underscore set K Q U E. This offseason is going to be really, really fun. These players have been really, really fun. So see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the 305 Culture Podcast. Subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at 305 Culture Pod. Wear your mask, keep your distance, and watch the NBA. See you next week.